Booker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. What is happening, Enhance Your Edge Nation? Welcome to another episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, the founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com, Brad Wilson, and my guest today is the always incredible Christy Arnett. Christy has been in the poker industry for the past 15 years, starting off working as a reporter for Card Player Magazine and then moving on to Poker News. In 2014, she decided to take the leap and began to play cards professionally. For a lot of folks, this could have ended in absolute disaster, but Christy is not a human being you want to bet against. She has the unique combination of otherworldly grittiness, humility, and confidence that pretty much guarantees success in whatever venture she chooses to take on. She has not only survived but has thrived on the green felt, battling primarily in the live cash game arenas in sunny California. Chrissy sums up her aspirations in life through a T.S. Eliot quote, Only those who risk going too far can possibly know how far one can go. End quote. But you can't have a journey without a plan, a vision for what it will take to reach your destination. And if you are lacking a vision, Christy is about to walk you through that process step by step. In our conversation, you'll also learn why Christy decided to leave poker media and go pro, how poker can be used as a tool to pursue what you love, Christy's amazing wisdom if you want to become a professional poker player, how to use poker to become a better human being. And so, so much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you my conversation with Christy Arnett. How are we doing, Christy? I'm so good. How are you, Brad? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very, very well. I would like some warmer weather. How are you on the, uh, the West Coast? I'm sure everything's nice and sunny. It's sunny, but we are so spoiled. It's maybe gets as low as 55 and people out here are wearing scarves and coats and complaining. So (laughs) listen, I'm not complaining. I grew up in Michigan, so I know what actual cold is like. I'm not sure if you could hear the bitterness in my voice when I said that, by the way, but it's there. It's very strong and tangible. I get Um, it. (laughs) I like to start out. Let's talk about the journey. Right, your journey, living a life of cards. Uh, You're involved in athletics growing up. Could you talk about fueling that competitive spirit through playing sports? Sure. So, one of my earliest competitive memories is being on a travel soccer team and being pitted up against the other best girl on our team. And our coach just loved this dynamic because he could see that we are both one of those people who wanted to be the best, but we were so close in skill that he would set up these drills around both of us, just like eating each other alive. So we just 
we, we fought for the same position and, and I can remember like, like it was almost like the movies where it's like, there's mud and we're, we're playing soccer, but mostly we're just trying to physically like put each other's face in the ground. So, um, it's been ingrained in me since I was little. I mean, I was like eight when, when that happened. And so, Oh my God. And so when I started playing in college and started, um, that's when I discovered poker, it was much of the, of the same attitude, except I couldn't deny that luck was a part of it. And it was almost even more intriguing than, than, you know, trying to just beat one person in soccer. It's just like, it just opened up a whole new world for that. And, and over the years though, it's, it's funny that I was just having this conversation with my husband about how does this crazy competitive drive, how does that help or hurt in poker? And it's something, this, this idea and growth has sort of been evolving as I evolve also as a human, which is one of the reasons why I, when you asked me to come on the show, I was really excited to do so because my favorite, this is like my favorite part of poker now, as I'm a little bit more mature and don't want to just shove people's faces in the mud um, and, 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 you know, play hard because of the love of the game. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit too um, with my recent trip at the WSOPC where I got second, but um, there, there's this fine line between a really driven person who winning is the most important thing and between the greatness in in a competitor because a need to win can often be the demise of greatness so what do you um, mean by that so when whenever we get so consumed by the need to win or the need to beat somebody i mean if we just take a look at think about the last time you were sitting at a live poker table and someone was getting under your skin. Even as a pro, you've been a pro for years. There's still some people sometimes in certain sessions that someone can just like get under your skin and your stomach burns a little bit. And you just want to like, I just want to crush this guy. Like how annoying is their face or whatever. (laughs) And, and, and then, you know, you're, you're, you're a little bit off kilter. Your decisions are a little bit more based around trying to beat that specific guy rather than what is the most plus EV play in this moment. I mean, and that's just a small example. And so when we take it out to the bigger level, and I'll just talk about the the final table that I just played in this $400 ring event at the World Series of Poker in Aruba, for the most of the tournament, I let my healthy competitive drive keep me focused, keep me making courageous decisions, even when I was afraid because I knew it was the right thing to do. And then as soon as I got heads up and they brought the ring in front of me and the ring represents so much for me, like in my childhood of needing to win and, and collecting trophies and my mom being proud of me. Like once I saw that ring, I wanted it so bad, Brad. I'm telling you, I was like, I could see it. And I wanted... And, and not just that, I, I wanted everything that came along with what I think the ring means, which is like, I'm a winner. I can tell people and show people this shiny thing and, and, and maybe then they will have respect and all of these stories I had around winning. And because I had so many stories around that, 
my desire and need to win started just clouding my judgment. I started playing afraid. I started like my adrenaline was so high. It was hard to even think. And then I started to to play. So, so there's a shift that happens between someone who has to win because of what they think it means and they want to beat somebody. And in between just playing great. And that shift happens when you start playing not to lose. And I started playing not to lose because I felt like I, I was afraid of what it would mean if I lost. And I just ended up crumbling heads up and I did end up losing. And and I share it because it's like, it's like part of the evolution of growth in anything um, is doing it better and better and then finding your breaking point and, and then learning from that. So what were the thoughts going through your head while you were playing heads up? So it's while I was playing, so, so part of when, what happens when you lose grounding in the present moment is you can't even really hear the thoughts that are going through your head. You just, you just think of your experience as reality. So only in reflection can I see what thoughts must have been going through my head. Because at the time I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. But really what was running underneath the surface was, oh my gosh, please don't lose. How could you lose? Look, everybody's... Uh, all your friends are watching. Um, he's running you over. You never play heads up. What are you even doing? You don't deserve to win. And that's, yeah, that was all running out of the subconscious. Cause I remember standing up and readjusting how I was sitting at the table and being so flooded with stress and adrenaline. I was sweating and my shoulders were tight and I was breathing shallow. So I tried to take more deep breaths, but, um, I, th- I thought it was okay until, yeah, like I said, after. I, I would say, so like I told you, um, in the pre-interview, mindset is kind of an obsession with me lately. And do you think that there's any form of self-sabotage while you're playing heads up where, you know, it's very, like the, the subconscious mind is such a motherfucker. Like it's, uh, it messes you up so bad, but like, if your thoughts are not coherent, if you don't have clarity, there's this thought that maybe that, that if you don't play your best, it gives you an out, right? It gives you an out as to why you didn't win, which protects the ego moving forward. Do you think there was any of that involved? Man, I don't, I don't know. At first I thought it was more of, um, the story that I make up about what winning means and what losing means. And getting caught up in that, which I I guess in some ways can be sabotage if I underneath believe that I don't deserve to win. But but I think it was more of like a a worthiness about, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. It's really tough to articulate and I'm not really sure. Yeah, I just... Like I know, I know this about myself, right? Like I, I've learned, un, unfortunately, that like in high school, I'll give an instance. I graduated with a perfect three right? Without studying, <laughs> no homework, all these things. And, and as I've gotten older and learning about mindset and these sort of things, what I've realized is that I never gave all of myself 
because I, I was subconsciously afraid that if I did, that it wouldn't be good enough to make straight A's, that it wouldn't be good enough to be at the peak of whatever endeavor that I tried. And that's a very hard truth that I'm still coming to grips with. But anyway, it was that, that was sort of, I guess, you know, if you, I think if you, if you're in an endeavor and your greatest fear is that you're not good enough, then subconsciously you can maybe not perform a hundred percent because like I said, it gives you an out later on. You're like, well, okay, but X, Y, Z, and that protects the ego. Knowing, especially knowing like how much a ring meant to you on your, your poker journey and your story arc as just somebody that's been involved with the game so long. Yes. Okay. So I don't think that it can come down. I don't think the concept that you're talking about can come down to a specific moment. Rather, that would have been something that would happen in preparation because this is the opportunity that I was faced. That's true. Um, you can't when, predict that you're going to be there. Right. Right. I, I, it's, it's tough to say that, um, you know, in that moment that what I, that's what I could have been doing. Um, but I do think that for much of my poker career, the this the vulnerability of going for it is really tough. A couple of years ago, I started vlogging and I told everyone, I was like, I want to win a World Series of Poker gold bracelet. And that's really vulnerable. It's so much easier to just say, I mean, I don't know, like I'll just like do if I whatever. get one, I get one, you know. Yeah, if I get one, I get one. But when I said that, what it did was it so one of my favorite books is the one thing and he the the author talks about how to create the biggest box and the biggest box of how you get the biggest results is when your end goal is something very specific and something very big because if i said if i'm preparing for a summer and i'm like i want to win a world series of poker bracelet my preparation is much different than if i say I want to do like the best I can or whatever in the summer. Right. So when I have a big goal, then my preparation is different. And it's like, it's, it's interesting because right now I have lots of these big goals and even that can be recognized as also a, a, a form of non-vulnerability. If I have too many big goals, then I can't commit myself to one. And then if I'm fail, then Maybe it's like not so bad because look, look at me. I'm, I have all these big goals. Like right. obviously it's like not a big deal. So, so that's something I'm wrestling with currently, um, which my uh, aggressiveness towards getting a bracelet had definitely dimmed after that summer. And it wasn't like my big goal or I wasn't preparing as if winning a gold ring was gold bracelet or gold ring was my number one goal because when I did get there, I I was like, dude, what am I doing? I have like, I'm playing heads up in a tournament. And I haven't played heads up in, I don't know, a couple years, you know? Yeah. What, what were the stakes? What was first compared to second? First was 10K and second was 6K. So these were pretty small fields and the buy-in was 300, I believe. Yeah. So monetarily, probably not... Uh, the big 
motivator. Even though, I mean, 4K is 4K. I'm not minimizing the 4K, but the the gold ring, I would assume it was worth more to you. Oh, way more. I mean, the difference between first and second is something that, I mean, I would just, I could play the 510 and win or lose, you know. In a session, yeah. In a session. And, and actually, it's so funny because I posted this, I posted this on Instagram and someone was, and I was like, Oh, I wasn't even thinking about the money. It was the ring. And I was sharing all these things that I'm sharing with you. And then someone messaged and was like, Hey, just so you know, like four or $6,000 is so much money and people have to work, you know, and, and make half that. So you should just be grateful. And I, I was wrestling with this. And at first I was like, Oh yeah, maybe I should just like, maybe I needed to say how much I was grateful or maybe I should not talk about money, uh, you know, the, the, the exact amounts. And I was like, and then I was thinking, and I'm curious about what you think, because you've been a pro for so long and you've been sharing so much of your journey and especially with this podcast, but it's like, I know the truth was I didn't care about the money. That's the truth. Your truth is you are offended or insecure about the place that you're at and your or whatever. So and and I think it's important to share our lives truthfully as poker players. Um I mean, and as anybody who wants to inspire people in some way. So I just, I'm curious what you what have you have you ever dealt with that or have you ever, you know, as you're sharing your journey and the amounts won or lost how you feel about sharing this part? I just spew it out. Uh, I just, I just talk about it openly and honestly, because it's part of my journey and why should I withhold it? Because it's offensive to somebody else. And like you said, if it's offensive to them, then I think, you know, the microscope needs to be turned around and there's some mindset issues there that, um, maybe need to be dealt with. But like, yeah, I, I believe in sharing your truth. And like you said, it, it, sharing everything that's going on is vulnerable, right? Like there's this feeling of vulnerability. And so just I, I, I don't hold anything back personally, but that's, you know, I, again, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> so I'm still finding, finding the answers. But I, I think like one of my things is I'm going to be authentically me regardless of what happens at the end of the day, I'm going to speak my opinion and talk about these things because they're important, right? Like I just, I I think it's very, very important to be open and honest, especially to your audience. Absolutely. And also since we're talking about mindset stuff, if anybody is listening and they have had those feelings like, Oh, that person should just be grateful or, or had, some anger around this sharing of money or sharing of something. If you are to be successful in poker, I assert that you will have to wrestle with the, the stories that you make up about what money means, what other people should do or say or be about their money. And uh, this is just something that... I mean, there's just like so many things we we get to wrestle with as poker players that uncover things about how we can be successful and abundant in life, which I, that's why I just love this conversation. But so I, I would just encourage anybody if you're like, oh, that sounds like 
something I would think, really take the opportunity to examine your relationship with money. Every successful poker player has to do that. They just have to, to be successful. So yeah. And moving beyond poker, just in other areas of life, like ignoring it, minimizing it, not talking about it, I don't Mm -hmm. think is a recipe for financial security and, and just purely learning, you know, just asking people about how they deal with money in the first place can be a source of growth. So I do have, there are family members that are very hesitant to talk about money or anything, but I still do it. I don't know. (laughs) Like it is what it is. That's just how I am. Um, no, it's good because they, it gives, it's like the opportunity for them to engage in the conversation without it. It's like, it's just, yeah. It's just a it's, thing that, that you ignore and don't talk about. Yeah. I do want to, so you said for a while that you didn't want to be a professional poker player and then you switched it around and went for it. Could you tell me, how did that come about? How, like, Sure. So in the beginning, when I was 21 and I moved to Las Vegas from the Midwest, I got an internship at Card Player Magazine as a writer. And my husband, who was already a professional poker player back in Fort Wayne, Indiana, was 23 and and he was a professional. And I just never saw myself as heading down that path. One, because I was always taught that you need a nine to five, that you need a regular job and you need something that's practical. Practical was one of my mom's favorite words, is one of my mom's favorite words. Also, don't be mediocre. That was another thing she instilled in me. And, or, or two is because I didn't think that I was capable of it. So both those things were just keeping the idea of being professional just so far away from me. Then I moved from card player magazine to poker news and I started reporting and traveling. And that's about when I got the opportunity to have a coaching, a coaching mentorship from Andrew Beluga whale Seidman, who was a coach at deuces cracked. And he taught me so much and I got to hang out with him. And, and also when I started working for poker news, I did, it wasn't a nine to five. I worked from home and I traveled. So I got the taste of what it would be like to not have, not have someone telling me where I need to be from nine to five, not having to wake up to an alarm and be try to play all night and then be so tired that I had to like hide in my car at lunchtime and take a nap. I got, I got a feel of what it would be like to, be free in that way. And then I won a mini FTOPS event for like $32,000, which was at the time huge. And then, so then I got a feel of what it would be like to make a lot of money, make money playing poker that I would make in an entire year. And so all of these little seeds were just planted. I was like, maybe I could, maybe I could. But also deeper than that was that I have always wanted to create and do something great in ter- like on television or on the movies. And I don't know exactly, I never knew exactly what it was when I was a kid. I thought it was being an actor then I, and, but then I always wanted to write movies. And so, 
and, and, and then I was going through a lot in my marriage. And so it all came to a head in 2014 when I was like, I have literally done everything that I could possibly do as a poker reporter and I'm not passionate about it. I don't, I don't, I, it was a dream job at first, but I've done it all in the last seven years. And the next step would be maybe doing it on TV, but that I don't, I, I didn't want to interview other poker players. So in 2014, I quit to play poker professionally, but it wasn't with the single uh, idea of just playing professionally. I knew that it would give me the time and freedom to pursue my other passions. And for the last four or five years, I have done, I have dabbled and gone deeply, dabbled and gone deeply in lots of different areas. And it's been so, so, so fun. And I've gotten to travel with my husband and play poker. But I also am just really grateful for poker because of the freedom, because now I'm, I'm writing and I'm writing a book that's very important to me. And now I live in LA and get to be close to all of these other things. And I think my poker goals, because, and this is like a perfect time that we're having this conversation because I've been wrestling with all these different ideas about what it means to really want something and sabotage and then having too many big goals and what, like, you know, where am I sabotaging myself? Um, and I'm just kind of in that right now, but, but that's kind of the evolution of, of being a pro first, not really thinking it was possible then seeing how it was, but also using it as a tool for a tool that I love. And then also being able to pursue something greater. There's definitely freedom in the autonomy and the time that poker allows you to have. What did your, your practical mom think about this, this decision? She, so, so at first when I told her that I was dating a professional poker player, she was like, okay, this is a terrible idea. (laughs) She just, she just asked me all the time, but how much did you lose? But how much did he lose? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to be able to eat like all these things? But there's two things that will calm the mind of a mom who is afraid of a professional poker player. One is time. When time goes by and you have nice things and when you go home for Christmas, you take them out to dinner and you pay or my husband pays and we're never asking for money and we look you know, like we take care of ourselves with time. You're like, I I mean, I guess they're fine. I guess they're eating and I guess they're taking us out to dinner. They're fine. Right. And then the other thing is when you make it on TV, suddenly everything is legit. They can, she can show her friends. My daughter was on TV. Her husband's on ESPN. And it's like, it's fine. It's fine. So there you go. For anybody that's afraid of mothers out there, just make it on TV and you're good to make go. Make it on TV and don't <laughs> ask for money. Ever. Yeah. Never ask for money. No, ever. no, don't even like if you forget your wallet at home, still never ask. Just it will burrow in their brain and they'll worry about you forever. Yes, there's a lot of negative stigma uh, to people who are not immersed in the world of poker and that don't don't really understand. You know, obviously gambling addiction is a real thing. And obviously, most people lose at poker. Like these are just the 
this is the reality of the situation is that most people lose. And I would say that one truth that I'm that I've been moving towards, and this is another mindset thing that I've been working on myself. I used to think it was almost impossible to be a professional poker player. Extremely, 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 extremely hard. And to the point to where like, you know, my brother-in-laws have an interest in poker and I would try to guide them away from poker instead of teaching them and helping them and stuff. And I've learned that this is another egocentric thing that I like thinking that it's almost impossible because it makes my ego feel better about itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that anybody that does the work that immerses themselves in the process, this is the truth I'm heading towards can fucking make it like you can do it if you put in the work because most people are not going to put in any work at all. And therein lies your ability to gain an edge, especially, especially, especially in live poker um, specifically because live poker, you're going to, you know, the minimal mistake is one, two, right? So you're going to be playing for hundreds of dollars pretty much right off the bat. And lots of recreational players that, you know, they, this is their disposable income that they're playing as a hobby. So I do want to, yeah, uh, that again, mindset moms, don't be so afraid. I don't know how many mom listeners I have to my show. Probably not many, uh, <laughs> maybe one, my mom, your um. mom. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Brad's mom. Um, I absolutely agree with you. And people ask me all the time, what does it take to be a professional poker player? What advice would you give me? And I absolutely agree with you that anyone has the opportunity and can, but what two things need to be in place. One is you have to know what your poker vision is. Why are you playing and where are you going? This, this, I mean, you don't even have to, I I think this is important for amateurs as well. If you are playing because you want to supplement your income by how much and what stakes do you want to play? Because what having a poker vision does and having a why does is allow you to take a zoomed out view of every moment when you're playing. Because if, if you don't have a vision, then you're all zoomed in. And every time you go play, it's like you're playing because I want to win today. I want to win today. I want to win today. And as soon as you take a big hit or get stacked, and then you're like, oh, shoot, I'm not going to win. If I don't win today, this sucks. I need to get unstuck. I need to stay until I'm unstuck. And then and then you don't play as well. But when you have a vision, you're like, it, it zooms you out and allows you to be, get stacked. You're like, that's okay. Because where? why am I playing poker? Because I want to get better. And because I'm going to move up stakes. What, what does that require? It requires someone to be able to get stacked and keep playing. And it just completely changes your experience of every day when you can have somewhere that angers you into zoomed out view. And then the other thing that I always say, or that I encourage people is that use poker to become a better human because then poker can be this beautiful, incredible tool in your life because it is a microcosm for everything. And it is the opportunity to take a look at what's not working. And within every session, it's possible. So if you are willing to do those two things, I think you can definitely make it in poker. But honestly, these days, it's so, so hard and the edges are so much smaller and the tools are so powerful that if you don't have those things, poker is going to be miserable, in my opinion. 
So this leads to the obvious question. What's your vision? My vision for poker is to one, be the best that I can be me and create the best habits um, I can that allow me to write a New York Times bestseller, to have a book tour that um, impacts people. And so poker is this tool currently for me to create this, this incredibly impactful book, which is about the story of love and risk and rebuilding a marriage. And, and that I think is like up to this point, my dream to share with people. And um, so when I'm playing, it is my vision that poker has me become a better person because I will wrestle with anything it's willing to show me. If I, if, if, you know, I, I play a hand and I feel myself make the wrong decision out of fear, I will wrestle that fear to the ground afterwards and figure it out. And then, and then the other part is right now, the thing that I'm wrestling with is letting go of, of the specific results that I want in a way, because I've used it unhealthy, unhealthily towards myself. So what do you mean by that? So for example, two years ago, when I set out to win a world series poker bracelet, my preparation, what it helped me do in my preparation was magical. Once I set that big box, like we talked about before, I prepared for the summer. Like I had never prepared. I was studying every day. I was playing every other day, much more than I had before. My cash game results went up. I made a world series of poker circuit final table on the way in. It was just like insane. But then when I got to the summer, my need, because I had announced this to anybody, everybody for, it was a specific result in a small amount of time. It, I, I torpedoed under the pressure. Like I whiffed like so many tournaments. I played scared. I played not to lose. It was like a drawn out version of what happened at the final table just last week at WSPC. It's like, it was great. And then I needed the specific results and I, I used it against myself because I had all this pressure of what I thought it meant. And then I crumbled. So right now I'm wrestling with like specific poker goals and versus creating habits and being the best I can and being okay with results and just learning to shift processes like thought processes preparation processes so I hope I hope that was clear for sure that makes sense yeah and and I just spoke today about expectations especially in poker and how dangerous expectations are and I know that throughout my career, anytime I've set specific monetary expectations, like I'm going to win 20K this month or whatever it might be, I almost, I've never succeeded in meeting that expectation. Because what happens is in poker, it's obviously filled with variance and there's this luck factor involved. And really, the only thing you can do every single day when you get to the poker table is show up prepared ready to make the best decisions you can possibly make. And then however that turns out, you uh, reflect on the results and try to do better the next time. 
really that's it. But when you have these expectations of I'm going to average whatever, $1,000 a day, there's too much pressure. And I find myself personally sort of mailing it in, like Mm -hmm. not not preparing in the way that I need to be. Um, My anxiety is low, which for me is actually a negative because I use my anxiety as energy to propel me forward and keep my focus sharp. When that happens, like I'm just kind of clicking buttons in, in autopilot mode and I'm not at the top of my game. And I can imagine that a bracelet goal, which is a, a giant goal anyway, and then putting all that pressure on yourself to do it in like 30 to 50 events, very, very easy to, to crumble. It's almost setting yourself up to crumble, really. Mm-hmm. And it also, it also creates just negative emotion on pieces of the journey that normally you might be grateful for. I know that when I have monetary goals or whatever, and then like I leave a 15 hour session up 400 bucks or something, I'm like, ugh, that's like nothing. And I'm like, oh, no, that's just like, that's just part of whatever goes into your long term win rate. And actually, that's not that, you know, it's like, it's like, why? It's, it's, we create so many crazy traps for ourselves so many times. Like you said, poker is the ultimate um, as far as growth. Like, like you said, you, you get zoomed in. You don't take a zoomed out approach and your self-worth starts to coincide with whether you're winning or losing on a daily basis and you're an emotional wreck because you, you don't, like you said, you don't have a vision for where you're, you're heading towards and what you're going to do. So staying on that path, zooming out. You mentioned coaching, by the way, as a huge thing. And I think that more poker players ought to get coaching. More poker players ought to seek out people who have experienced the things that they want to experience so that they can learn from that wisdom. And that, you know, that's another misnomer, I think, that, that poker is a solitary journey. Like it's a solitary venture, unless you're playing in a tag team event, I guess. But uh, nobody can make the decisions for you at the table. But when you join up with other people, you grow exponentially together. And I think that that should that ought to be one of the main main focuses as a poker player. And like you said, the things that you're grateful for, right? You got to spend a summer competing, playing cards. I'm sure you had dinner, amazing dinners with your friends. Um, all of those relationships. These are things that ought to be celebrated, regardless of whether you win or lose in any given session, or regardless of how your tournament ends up. Like it's, I can't count the number of times people come to me and they're like, ah, I'm like, I'm break even over my last three or 400 hours of playing poker. And it's like, you know, there's gratitude in the journey and this time that you get to spend with other people as well. Don't miss out on all of these little blessings. Because for me, like, especially my live career, the relationships that I've made mean more to me than all of the other things. Nothing else even compares they're all my favorite memories. So I think that just it's hard because we want to be, we want to have a goal that's very specific, right? But I, I'm not sure that that translates very well to poker uh, because your identity can get wrapped up in it and it just can take way more than it gives. Yeah, absolutely. There's also something that I wanted to share too. 
about the coaching aspect and even the camaraderie and the friends that you make um, in terms of improving at poker, because it's something I've seen over and over. My husband has coached many, many players and, and, you know, I've helped him with the mindset stuff parts of it too. But often I will see people who are getting coached. And I've seen this in myself, even with Andrew, like having him coach is that sometimes it will be about people will make it about looking good to their coach. They will either be either with the hand choices they decide to bring to the coach, you know, instead of like the worst ones where, you know, you messed up or whatever. Yeah. They'll, the they'll, hand you bury in the backyard and never show a soul. Exactly. Or when they are trying to explain their thought process, say they might get like defensive or they'll, the way that they're talking, they just, they would rather seem good than actually be good. And this, I I did this a lot in my early career. And, and so like, I just want to share that because I identify with it, but it's like, you really want to check yourself. Am I here to really be good or am I trying to seem good? in front of somebody that I respect, obviously respect enough that you hired them as a coach or asking their opinion about a hand because, uh, yeah, yeah. Poker is all, all the leaks can just hide in the cracks of trying to like seem really cool. Right. Very egocentric. And you're absolutely right. There, there's so many biases that we have to deal with as, as poker players that I, I see some people struggle with that exact thing in that they're not receptive to feedback or they start justifying their own decisions even when like somebody's, somebody above their skill level is telling them, no, this is just not, this is not the correct thought process. We need to get into this. Maybe, at least I know that I do this with my students. We record every single session. I send them a recording so they can review it. So if you viewers or listeners out there get coaching, get a copy of it and start listening to what you're saying. Start asking yourself these hard questions. Am I saying this just to please my coach? Am I choosing these hands just because I'm afraid of negative feedback on the ones that I'm really not sure about or the ones that I know I 100% botched. Because this is, you know, this is objective data that you can analyze. And uh, yeah, that, that, it's just, <laughs> when I said anybody can make it in poker, I do mean that. But that doesn't mean that it's by any stretch of the imagination, it's an easy path. Right. What is up, my loyal Chasing Poker Greatness listener? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to ask you a simple question. How many times have you heard my guests and I speak passionately about the benefits of poker coaching? You get to expand your poker network, receive expert feedback you can rely on, and have your burning questions answered by a trusted mentor. Which brings me to the Poker Power Hour, a series of 100% free live one-hour poker webinars, masterclasses, and hand history breakdowns that kick off each and every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Poker Power Hour will be led by me, Coach Brad, as well as some of your favorite Chasing Poker Greatness guests. 
it will be your weekly guide for helping you plug your leaks, skyrocket your poker growth, expand your network of crushers, and inevitably win more money on the green felt. The Poker Power Hour is premium content and live only. There will be no free replays or view on demand, and the content will eventually be released as paid training only. So head to EnhanceYourEdge.com, opt in to the Poker Power Hour, and get for free today what you'll have to pay for it later. Once again, to catch the Poker Power Hour every single week, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com and join the email newsletter. Now, back to the show. I want to go back to, you were talking about using poker to improve your life, and I need, give me a tangible, specific example of that. So there are times at a poker table when, uh, and I, I'm sure lots of you guys can relate, where there will be some action and you will say to yourself, I shouldn't do what I'm about to do. I really shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. And then just for some reason, you're just like calling me all in because, or whatever. And, 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 and you're like, and then they show you the hand and then, and you should have folded or whatever. And then you're like, I, how did I just like, what happened? Did I just, what just happened? And then we're like, and then we lose and then we're extra mad. And then, and then we, and then we walk away. And this is one of the things that I think is the most, is so fascinating is like when we know we're not supposed to do something and we do it anyway, like what is happening in that moment? And, um, it's kind of like, you know, when you say I'm going to eat healthy today and yet all of a sudden you find yourself and standing in front of the fridge and you see grandma's leftover pie and you're like, I shouldn't eat this pie. And then you're just five seconds later, it's down the trap and in your stomach and then you feel guilty. So a few years ago, I've, I, I had a bunch of these moments in a row at poker where basically I was calling in spots that I knew I should fold. And I was like, what is going on? And so I had a session with Elliot Rowe, who you recently had on the podcast. I think he's incredible. He's one of my favorite humans in poker. And we actually, we actually did, he, he was on my podcast and what we did was we had a hypnotherapy session that I recorded and then I shared parts of it, but it was just, it was a true hypnotherapy session. I was like laying down and, and we were going into what was happening underneath the surface in these moments where I would just call, even though I knew I wasn't supposed to. And the idea is that behavior is often guided by our subconscious, which we talked about before. And there's healing that can be done around these certain spots that is available. And when we went to this hypnotherapy session, I basically, what it came down to was that, um, you know, I had made up that when I fold, what that means is I lose, I lose the hand for sure. Lose the hand. And if I call, then maybe there's a shot. And also if I let someone bluff me, it's like they're winning and, you know, all these things. And it was like back to my childhood and all those things. And then we, he, by the end, he 
reframed together. We reframed what it means to fold and obviously making good folds. This is all rational, of course, but what happens in those moments is irrational, obviously, because we know what we're supposed to do and we don't anyway. But the reframing and the healing of, of this moment is it is okay if I am bluffed every once in a while. In fact, if I'm never bluffed, obviously, then I'm calling too much. And to win in the long term, you know, obviously all of these rational things. And so after that, I was I, I was like making great folds and my win rate went up and all of these things. It was like this opportunity to heal something in me that was so, so, so deep. I had no idea what was happening. And I think that this principle of understanding behavior is has been kind of like kind of life-changing. And um that's just like that's just one specific thing um which has paralleled in many other places in my life, including when I am in conflict with someone, you know, does not saying anything further mean that I lose or something or, you know, or in long-term relationships to win, you know, does it, is, is it better or whatever? Because winning is actually when we both win because if I make someone, you know, so it's just, it's so deep and it's always, anything that you can do to improve who you are as a player will always translate to other positions in life. And when I saw that you did a live session with Elliot and you released it on YouTube, I immediately thought that's some vulnerability right there. Like that, that's some courage. Specifically, he told me most of the sessions end in crying. Um, <laughs> they, end, yeah. they end very, very sad. And also I did read your, your blog post that you wrote about you and your husband. And again, super vulnerable post. Uh, I, that just, I can't even put into words the amount of courage that putting something like that out there took and very compelling. I mean, I was completely immersed in the story, um, which I, I believe will bode very well for your book. I, I want to go back too for for the observant poker player. What Christy is talking about, how she would always call, right? This this idea that you know an alien commandeered her body and just put the chips in the middle, and she's like, "What the fuck just happened?" To to the observant poker players, they're actually putting you in a position like they they will know that you're going to pay off, so they are going to be way under bluffing and way over value betting those spots. So this is just how important these mindset issues are to uncover because a pro, he's going to realize, oh, she's always paying off. I'm always going to be value betting. So then you're always calling and it's always wrong against these specific players. And, and it can be just completely, completely demoralizing. So if you have these mindset issues, Figure out a way. Start doing research. Get to the root of it. Try to reframe it. Fix it because it's going to be really, really, really hard to pursue a career in poker if you don't. You're just costing yourself. You're just hemorrhaging money if you don't. <laughs> you are. Like, I think self-honesty. Honesty in poker is such a necessity. You have to always be honest about why you're doing your decisions 
honest with analyzing the narratives that you, the stories you tell about the hands in your head, like, is this true? And seeking out outside feedback. It's just 100% necessary if you want to be successful playing this game. And uh, you got a podcast, Risk Every Day. Tell me about the podcast. Well, right now it's currently on hiatus and I will likely be doing a season four at some point when I really at least get some momentum going in this book, trying to do not so many things all at once. Um, but the idea is, and, and you know, I want to mention a little bit more in case people don't really know about the post that you were talking about that I made about my husband and I and our relationship. Let's talk about that instead of the podcast. If that's going on hiatus, it sounds like it's, you know, uh, I've read the one thing, by the way. And uh, the thing that stands out in my mind is like the very beginning of the book, when you open it, it's if you try to catch two rabbits at the same time, you catch no rabbits, right? So I'm assuming that your rabbit right now is your book. Um, Yes. So yeah, let's go that direction. Okay, sure. So... I met Andrew when I was 19 and he was 22. He was already a professional poker player at the time. Our first date was playing poker in an underground game in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And we moved to Las Vegas when I turned to t- turn 21. And so we grew up together basically in Las Vegas. And how like, old are you now? Like what year was that? Um, that was 2005 or six. So I'm 34 now. Yeah. So it was a, yeah, we've been together for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and so when we moved out to Vegas, it was really hard. He was trying to play poker professionally. It wasn't always going well in the beginning, first few years. And I was an intern at first. So money was tough, but we were in love and we got married. Um, but what happens when you stop growing and improving and being together. Same thing with with poker. If you stay stagnant, you actually fall behind um, because everybody else is moving forward. The same thing with relationships. And over time, our our things just, there was space. There was, um, you know, we just kind of fell apart. And then we, our relationship came to a head um, when we, we very nearly came to the brink of divorce and it was really difficult and it was really ugly at times. Um, but we knew we wanted to fight for it. And what I unexpectedly, what worked was taking everything that we knew about risk and how to win to our, our marriage to look at someone who you are so afraid is going to hurt you again but still want to, you know, play this game and, and to love again, it requires a great amount of risk and requires to, you know, you going all in and, and we rebuilt our marriage stronger than I could ever, I could ever imagine it. And, and there's just so many things that I want to share about life and love and, and the role of risk in it that I'm just really excited to, to share this in a book. And it is also the idea of risk every day, which was the name of, which is the name of the podcast. Because if, if there's something that you want and you haven't been able to get it yet or figure out a way to get there, if you just start taking risks every day towards it, 
you, you will eventually get there. You know, that's, that's what's in the space between. And it, it will take you being uncomfortable every day to do it. And it's because what people don't understand is when they don't take risks every day, they're, they're taking the biggest risk of all, which is that nothing that you really want in your life will ever just happen. Just doesn't just like, you don't just like float to a destination. Oops. I just like, Oh, I'm just like, I just got here. I'm just like <laughs> high stakes poker player. Whoops. Or I just have the best marriage ever. Like how this happened? I don't know what happened. And just like got here. No, that doesn't, that's not it. Um, and it's in the taking of the risks that you define who you are. And people always like, no, I'm going to wait till I'm ready to take a risk or I'm going to wait till I'm confident to take a risk. No, no, no. That's how you get ready. And that's how you gain confidence is you take a risk and then you figure out who you are in the action of doing it. So, so yeah, that's, that's risk every day. And that's the book. And, and that is, I think my mission in life, which is, is to play this game and let it teach me about risk and then use what I love to do, which is storytelling and share, share that with people in the stories of our lives about, about risk. I, I, I know that it's going to be amazing. There's nothing riskier. There's nothing more vulnerable than the relationship that you have with your spouse and, and love. I think that this is another mindset area where you can catch yourself not fully committing because you're afraid that mm-hmm. maybe you're unworthy. What if it's not enough? What if they leave me anyway? I think these are these are all such common regular fears especially with stakes as high as you know stakes as high as having a life partner, right? Spending all of your time and energy with this one human being um, that can affect you in this just monumental way with all of their decisions. And yeah, it's, uh, it's obviously worthy of discussion. It's worthy of, it's worthy of doing some mindset training and implementing it into your life. Right. Um, I can't think of a more worthy thing. And you, you said it perfectly. Growth lies at the edge of your comfort zone. You have in order to grow, you're going to fail. You're go- things are not going to turn out the way that you expect them to, and you're not going to feel good about it. It's going to be very, very uncomfortable moving into uncharted territory. But that's part of it. Everybody that has gained the success that you th- that you want or that you strive for, they've all dealt with these same things. They're not superhuman people that like woke up one morning and wrote a book in 24 hours and put it on the shelves and voila, I have all the answers. There's pain, there's suffering Mm -hmm. behind every single one of these creations. So embrace the suffering, embrace the pain. And that that's how you become your best self. Oh my gosh, Brad, you just said it. And I want to just real quick, bring it full circle here because you're right. And people don't realize this because I don't know. It's just like, we're not taught this in school. We don't, I would say, you know, like there's like 90% of people, they want to get married. They want to have a life partner yet. It's like so much more acceptable to invest in ourselves, to learn how to make more money or be more successful in business. But what really changes our happiness is our personal relationships. And most of us 
and, and not that there's anything wrong. I mean, I, a lot of people want to be, you know, polyamorous or whatever. That's great. But most of us who want one life partner at a time, you know, it requires work. But the reason why people don't, because I'm bringing this full circle with what you asked me in the beginning was, you know, did you not put in, you know, sometimes we don't put in the effort because we're actually afraid that we won't be good enough if we do put in our effort. And if we don't, we can say, oh, well, it's fine. I didn't try it anyway. That is so true for people in love and relationships. They're like, they don't want to go to counseling or they don't want to try their hardest. So they don't want to forgive because it is so hard to feel like you've put in everything. And if they don't love you back, then that really means you're unworthy or all of those things. But, and it's the highest stakes game we can play, but, but it's the best game that we can play. And it's worth challenging those stories about one person, not loving you. It's like, it's about being the kind of person that you love and know someone, even if it's not the person in front of you will love as long as you Oh my gosh, I could go on forever. I just wanted to bring it full circle and I just love <laughs> no, you, you can love go on risk. So but yeah. Let's go to the lightning round that's probably not so lightning y. But uh <laughs> when you think of joy in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? The first memory is they all have to do with when I first started playing with Andrew and we would just Oh, oh, easy. Okay, so when we went to Vegas for the first time. I was 19 and I had a fake ID and we went to the Sahara and they have these $40 tournaments with a $20 add on, which was a lot to us at the time. And, um, I, I made the final table on the first night we went to Vegas and I messed up and I played scared and I got like six or something. just like, like my money back basically. And I was really upset with myself and Andrew sat me down and he was like, You've never been there before. This is a big deal. It's okay. Of course you made a mistake. But now, I mean, he he literally has the same conversation with me pretty much, you know, for like the next 15 years, but it always helps. He's like, so that, but every time you, you know, go far, you'll learn something and you never know when the next time you're there, it will be, it will be helpful. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever. I didn't know, but like two nights later, I made the final table again. And there was a spot where I was afraid to go for it, but I did. And I shoved it in some guy's face and he folded and it was great. And I won. And, uh, at the end of the tournament, when I got my payout, I remember walking out and I was like, Oh, this is what he meant. He was right. I learned. And he picked me up and he like swung me around in the air and I can hear all of the, the slot machines like pinging around me and we're in Vegas and I'm 19 and uh, yes, that's, that's joy to me. That's hard to beat. That's, that's (laughs) uh, an awesome, awesome story. And I'm sorry to bring us down, but the, the follow up, (laughs) the follow up is the direct opposite. Um, When you think of pain, in your poker career? What's the first memory that comes to mind? Wow. What's so interesting is I did not think, so my brain goes, is like going, Oh, where is it? Trying to find it in my brain. And at first, all I could think of was like, you know, a couple of lonely walks that I've had from the casino after going broke and then walking to the car. Those walks are always pretty rough and lonely. Cause you're like, what am I doing with my life? Should I even be a poker player? But honestly, the, the most painful moments to me have been when 
Andrew busted the main, like busted the main event. And it was like the night or it was like a few years ago, he went deep and he got 28th and it ended day six, I believe. And it was just something about watching someone that you love so much be so disappointed. That is most pain I feel like I felt. I don't know. But the best part about that is obviously that in the main after you bust, of course, it's the most disappointing, but you also make the most money if you go deep. So it was fine. But yeah, the hardest times I can see is wanting to protect someone I love so much from pain and then just seeing that and having this just be with them and feel it with them and witness it is like, oh, it's excruciating. Because at least when it's me, I'm like, I don't know. I just, I can do something about it. Yeah, it's beyond your control when it's yeah. somebody else. I, I've, like my friends that I play with, I, I've talked about this a lot on my show too. It's like when they're involved in a, in a massive pot, I get nervous. It's like a weird thing, but like then I'm involved in the same massive pot and it's like fuck clarity and calm waters. Like there's no nervousness at all. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it has probably has something to do with my control over the situation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, super vulnerable moment obviously he you know uh, that's uh yeah it's rough so what is your process right now for regularly improving your game what does it look like and be specific so i'm reading this book atomic habits and it's incredible and it's just the beginning and so i've recently been implementing these small things and one of the ones that i know will improve my game the most because because I've been really unorganized about improving um, is every after every session um, either talk through with Andrew or like Pio or or range range compare and like you know analyze um, at least three hands because and the reason you, I want to do it right after, even if it's four in the morning, it's on a drive home or where I'm really tired and I don't want to, is that if I don't do it right after, just either it doesn't get done ever. And and then, or it will be hazy. I won't remember why I did what I did. But, and then something I've implemented before too is, uh, you know, not not just recently, but is before every session, have some time where I like, calm my brain and my mind and I get ready to play and have some kind of intention. You know, what am I, what am I going to focus on this session? Sometimes it's mindset. Sometimes it's, it's very strategic and specific, like my pre-flop ranges or, um, you know, my three bet ranges or something, but it helps to be specific. So when I'm sandwiching my sessions with an intention and grounding, and then like a debrief, of some sort after I, I always make leaps in my game and it's when I get unorganized and just like forget to do one or the other. It's just, I just feel like I'm flailing around a lot. Yeah. That's a greatness bomb and super, super valuable to hone your focus, focus in on one thing for your session. It's very clever, smart. I haven't heard anybody speak about that specifically before, but you know, obviously our brains are very intricate things. And when you choose to focus on a specific thing, you start noticing that thing. It's the, 
you, you know, it's like when you buy a car and then you start seeing that car all over the road all the time, it's not that everybody went and bought the car with you. You're just noticing that specific thing. So in a poker sense, when you have a spot you want to pay attention to, if you make that intention beforehand, you're going to notice it. You're going to be aware of it more than you would have with no intention. Uh, so I, I love that. That's awesome. Imagine there's a carbon copy of you and she's 21 years old. What would you say in a sit down conversation? What wisdom would you share with her? <laughs> I, this is, this is so funny because this is the first thing that came to mind, but I would say, dude, get naked all the time <laughs> because this is so off poker or whatever, but it's just that I have been self-conscious of my body and my face or whatever, like since I can remember, since I was a kid. And now that I'm like 34, I'm finally like pretty okay. I mean, like I'm, I love my body and my face, but it's still not a 21 year old body. I'm, you know what I mean? But when I was 21, (laughs) I spent so much time wanting to shove a stick in my eye because of like, uh, it's just like, I just like, dude, you're just take advantage of being able to eat 19 cheeseburgers and just be naked and happy. Like that's what I would tell my 21 year old self. It's, uh, it's always, the grass is always greener, right? It's like, and then we, in retrospect, we're like, ah, why did I like, (laughs) why didn't I see with clarity the real truth of what was going on? You know, Um, if you could erect a billboard that every poker player had to drive past on their way to the casino, what would it say? Game theory optional. What do you mean by that? I don't know. It's just something that Andrew <laughs> says. And it's really funny to me that you don't need to play game theory optimal. Just It's optional if you want. <laughs> it's, yeah, we, again, this is another thing I've spoken about a ton uh, with people on this podcast. And we can even go back to your mindset issues of calling too much on the river, right? Like it doesn't take somebody playing GTO to make this observation that someone out there is calling too frequently on the river or is folding too frequently. And then you just adjust your strategy. Um, There's no reason to start bluffing somebody that's going to call 95% of the time with 50% of your range because you're just torching your money on fire. Like, so you don't have to be balanced in those spots. So I do think that poker players specifically have a tendency to overthink things, but yeah, it's uh, that, that, that's something that, would save people a lot of suffering if they wouldn't just blindly follow what they feel is GTO or what a sim spits out to them. Got two more questions and then get you out of here. Let's fast forward 15 years. What are your accomplishments going to look like? And it doesn't, normally it's poker centric, but I'll give you the latitude of whatever. 15 years. Okay, definitely have a World Series of Poker bracelet. And I'm a New York Times bestseller. Changing lives. That's about it. That's about it. <laughs> I, that's those, all I want. Those are okay. I think. And babies. <laughs> You're just going to steal some babies? Yeah, I might. 
Baby Thief, <laughs> New York Times bestselling author, WSOP bracelet winner. Exactly. That's what I want my bio to read. <laughs> Steal all the babies. Steal all the all babies the- and all the big blinds. There you go. Final question. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Um, I'm most active on my Instagram, which is at Christy, K-R-I-S-T-Y dot Arnett, A-R-N-E-T-T. Um, but I'm also on Twitter and um, I have a website too, and that's just ChrisTarnett.com. Awesome. And when you get done with your book, please share it with me so that I can spread the good word. I'm sure it's going to be amazing and I'm super looking forward to it. Thank you so much. I definitely will. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new poker platform where the games are safe and secure and the action's amazing, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash Pod to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.